0: Welcome back to Gnostic Insights. My name is Dr. Sid Ropp, and I'm your host. Welcome back to Gnostic Insights. This episode, I'm interviewing Adrian Smith again, which we did a couple of years ago, almost exactly to the date. It was uh, September of 2021. Adrian is a Canadian with a degree in law from the University of London. He has worked variously as a minister of religion, as a businessman, an investment analyst, and more recently as an author, blogger, and podcaster. His book is called A Prison for the Mind, Reflections of a Disappointed Fundamentalist. And his book explores the common characteristics of extremist ideologies, with special emphasis on woke philosophy. Recently, Adrian spoke at the Glastonbury Symposium in England on the topic of the Canadian Freedom Convoy, which he called The Emperor Has No Clothes. So we're going to touch on that talk he gave in Glastonbury, and we're also going to talk about how he came to Gnosticism and what Gnosticism means to him. Welcome back to Gnostic Insights, Adrian. It's great to have you back again. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. What, What got you interested in Gnosticism to begin with anyway?
1: From a very young age, I was indoctrinated into a very strict fundamentalist Christian sect with a very domineering leader whom I call in my book uh, a Prison for the Mind, the Wizard.
0: Mm.
1: And there was something very something that made me feel rather uneasy, and that was that we were always talking about the the dreams, the revelations, the insights, and miracles of other people. And it could, it could seem rather dry and empty. And there was an implication that if there was to be any important revelations or visions, that it would come through the hierarchy of the church and not with the underlings. Mm. So it seemed as though our natural creativity and natural connection was being interrupted or suppressed. And I read some of the work of Thomas Paine, in particular, The Age of Reason, which he wrote towards the end of his life. And the reason that he wrote towards the end of his life is that he was writing on the subject of religion. And what he wrote was very controversial for its time. Mm-hmm. He wrote about the incestuous relationship between religion and political power, and political mm-hmm. authority, which I found very interesting. And he made a statement which stuck with me. It was, um, there's no such thing as a second-hand revelation. A revelation can only occur in the first communication So if you're reading about or listening to or receive from someone who says that they had a miracle or that they saw a vision, all you have is their word for it, and that you can't really place your faith on that kind of evidence. That refers also to the subject of the New Testament, the book of John. And in the book of John, we read that the apostles saw the risen Christ Mm -hmm. and that they also witnessed him ascend into heaven. They go on to say that in order to be saved, you are required to believe this, which didn't sit very easy with me. I felt uncomfortable with that approach. And in fact, I felt more comfortable with the approach of Thomas, who said, you know, unless I see some evidence myself, I'm not going to believe it. Mm -hmm. And we read in, in the book of John that Christ appeared to Thomas and then he believed. And Jesus says to him, Thomas, you have seen and therefore believe, but blessed are those who have not seen but have believed. Yeah. So that's the perspective of the book of John. But Thomas Paine goes on to say that he sides with Thomas and that you don't base your faith on secondhand revelations or hearsay. And in fact, in the New Testament, what we have is hearsay on top of hearsay, because we don't have them saying it to us directly, but through several intermediaries.
0: Hold on just a second there. What about uh, the born again experience of Christians who have a personal relationship with Jesus that, that walk and talk with Jesus quite a lot?
1: Is that not a personal revelation? Yes, it's a revelation made to them, and they may feel entitled to believe in that. But it's not a revelation made to me. Mm-hmm. And also, what I'm I'm talking about uh, may not apply equally to all forms of Christian experience or even Christian fundamentalism, but I belong to something that was more cult-like. Yeah. In that it had a very dominant leader. But the the authoritarian model is not dissimilar to what we read in the book of John. We saw this, we're entitled to believe it, but You are required to believe it. You must believe it. Mm -hmm. But it's something that came to them and not to you. Now, that led me into the, the Gnostic approach and the Gospel of Thomas. So what appears to have been occurring is that in New Testament times, there was a wide diversity of Christian expression. And the Gnostics represented a different way of looking at it, a different way of being a Christian. And they were obviously followers of John, And they were followers of Thomas. There were some people who believed that Thomas was right. And this is found in the the Gospel of Thomas in one particular verse, bring forth that which is within you. Mm -hmm. The Gospel of Thomas is saying is that you have all the resources you need within you to save yourself.
0: Yeah, that sounds very upsetting to fundamentalists. I can hear that. That thou art God.
1: It was very upsetting to the Orthodox Church. And we know a lot about the Gnostics by the criticisms that they received from church fathers, such as Irenaeus, the Bishop of Lyon, who criticized the Gnostics because each one of them brought forth something of their own, something new every day. And that they were encouraged in that they were encouraged to to, to have reference to their own dreams their own visions their own revelations and they would share those dreams revelations and visions amongst themselves without a unified set of doctrines so you might compare this to an artist a painter who would instruct his students but he would not instruct his students to give an exact duplicate of what the teacher, an exact copy of what the teacher was doing. They would be expected to take what they learned from the teacher mm-hmm. and bring forth their own individual work of art. And it was this individuality that the church fathers didn't like, that the Orthodox Church didn't like, because they were looking for a one church, one doctrine. A bunch of rules that applied for everyone, a bunch of doctrines that were set forth that you must believe as a requirement to be in the church. So it was kind of a, for them, it was a quantitative measure. They were very interested in converts. And there would be a checklist, you know, do you accept the authority of the church? Yes. Check. Do you attend the Sabbath oh, services? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Check. Check. check and there check. still is. <laughs> it's know.
0: called the Nicene Creed. Yeah. And most churches it yeah. at the beginning right. of service. Right. And the
1: name of the game was get bums on seats. Right. Yeah. Right. Expand, the, expand this as though it was a business, you know. And you could tell that it was successful because it was an ever-growing thing. And that growth in membership was, in fact, proof that God was behind it in their yeah. mind. And yeah. and that was an argument yeah. that the wizard made. Look what a success I've made of this. Obviously, God is behind it. You know? Right. But Irenaeus you know, said that they're not content unless someone each day brings forth some enormous fiction. Yeah. So to them it looked chaotic. it looked uh, unmanageable right, <laughs> or right unworkable right. well, administrative.
0: They, wanted the, they wanted the control and the power.
1: right. So but the, the ironic thing is that the Gnostics had a unity which allowed for them to accept these truths of other people and these revelations of other people without judgment. And also to have what we would call a qualitative experience of a unity of the spirit. You know, it says else in the New Testament, you know, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. Mm-hmm. So their gnosis was a kind of experiential gnosis, knowing by direct apprehension of the truth, irrespective of intermediaries.
0: Pausing for just a second here, the the idea of uh butts in the seats with the church fathers or with any church so the big churches right the the mega churches yeah. oh they're very popular well <laughs> you know i've had this gnostic insights podcast for a couple of years i don't have many butts in the seats i don't have no. many subscribers and it's kind of an uh, it's kind of the opposite of that philosophy i think if i were you know cutting edge or sexy or this or that or or employed uh you know chinese drones to give me likes and retweets and so forth <laughs> but, but, but i'm not going to do any of that i i really don't no, test right. all of that i don't think that is the truth
1: well i don't think gnostics are into the numbers game they're into the quality of the interactions and the quality of the learning and the knowledge and there weren't really big proselytizers they were more secretive secretive because they were didn't want to get burned at the stake mostly well
0: yeah well Uh, i feel very exposed out here by the way you know obviously i get pushback from christians in my community i get the the evil eye stare you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i'm gonna i'm coming back to something i said initially i was the i'm the last person to market my book because when i first wrote my book i didn't want anybody to read it Uh, which so what kind of a marketer am I, you know?
0: Well, listen, the I think public- that, well, maybe
1: that's my Gnostic roots, or maybe, maybe it's like your brother counsels people using past life therapy. Maybe there was something in my past, you know? <laughs> oh, well, certainly,
0: I'm sure we've both <laughs> been burned at the stake on more than one well, there occasion. You, go. So, <laughs> you,
1: you know, this, and, and even Thomas Paine, like he was very, he didn't write down his ideas about religion and what, what I just told you until he was old. Because he did, he did, he just realized there might be a price to pay for all this, you know.
0: Sure, sure, and that, and we are so, both older um, as well, so the wisdom of age. That's true, and I, it wouldn't have
1: happened otherwise, probably. May,
0: let me mention this: that that the yes. publisher that is publishing uh, a simple explanation of the Gnostic Gospel, there's a ten thousand sales turning point in royalty structure, and I'm like, oh, that'll be the day. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That Good is very hard that. to imagine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I hear you. But, you know, I think we value to a greater degree, you know, the personal interactions. I know I've had lots of people read my book and I've entered into a dialogue with them. And it's been very productive on an individual basis. Maybe that's what it's all about, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, relationships. So we're not going to change. Right. Yeah. Relationships. Relationships. And in those relationships, entering into a dialogue that furthers your gnosis.
0: Absolutely.
1: And contributes to it. That's the name of the game for the Gnostics. I mean, if it was up to the Gnostics, Christianity might have disappeared mm-hmm. as an organized, identifiable, structured, mm-hmm. in your face. There's not much difference between these highly structured. Churches and empires—you know—they're—they're they're mm-hmm. interested in expanding the scope of their dominance and imposing on people a unified set of doctrines, which I would call the "believe it or else" approach.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You would be banished into outer darkness, which I eventually was. I got excommunicated from that church eventually, and uh, as I say, that church was not uncommon. But there are other forms of Christianity that are much more experiential, for Mm -hmm. sure. I think Mm -hmm. the Quakers in particular and, you know, the charismatic Christians... Again, though, you want your you want to get your own connection going.
0: Well, your I was having a discussion way. just yesterday yeah. with yeah. A, a young Christian slash Gnostic gal, and she was complaining about church hierarchies being this authoritative structure. And she doesn't like to sit right. in a church and listen to a man telling everybody else that he knows what's up, and here you better hear it. And she likes yeah. the home church setting where... You're sitting in a circle and everyone shares and everyone prays together. And, you know, to me, that's very interesting because the church structure is hierarchical. It's that pyramidal structure with top authority, whereas the home church is a circle. It's that torus shape where everyone's sitting in a circle and they're focusing on the center together, which is knowledge or gnosis or God. See what I mean? It's a different
1: structure. It is. Yeah, very different structure. In fact, in my book, I do make reference to the Native American talking circle Mm -hmm. as being analogous to how early Christian Gnostics held their meetings. For example, take turns being bishop Mm -hmm. and things like that. So there would be no one person that stood out as the leader who would Uh, act as a conduit.
0: are the Quakers the church where they sit in a circle in their meetings and uh, no one's in charge and they they sit and pray and talk? What church is that? There's one of those churches. I think that's
1: the Quakers. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah.
0: Well, that's then. It's no accident that that is what one that you resonate to.
1: Right, and it's in the, it, we had something going on here, a Native American thing, which is very analogous. You sit in a circle. The bishop would be more of a convener. Mm-hmm. And each person says what's on their mind. You know, did you have a? They had a dream. They had a revelation. They had an experience. How did they feel? What happened to them during the week? Talk about anything you want. You know, mm-hmm. and you go around. You pass the feather to the. And when you hold the feather, the floor is yours. Mm-hmm. So no one interrupts and says, "Well, that's a load of crap," you know, <laughs> or, or or puts up an argument against it, or says anything except your job is to listen. And that's it and it go you go around i did this and i just found it enormously satisfying you know it just you know the whole experience was just very fulfilling yeah and it felt right yeah just felt right there is but in the church i constantly didn't feel right right like this was you know there's something bothering you there's a cognitive right. dissonance going on like you're constantly being told something is true but witnessing contradictions in behavior Mm -hmm. and internal contradictions. When you see, as George Orwell talks about this, you know, double think. Yeah. You encounter two sets of facts and they don't match up. And in order to continue to believe a lie, you have to put one of these beliefs in a memory hole and you have to forget about it or bury it. Wait, you're and, talking about, uh, you're you're talking about wokesters now. <laughs>
0: you're talking about the current political situation. It's just amazing. Oh, how I'm totally talking about
1: the total, that that's, that's another huge topic that we're probably not going to have time for. But that's, that was my, the subject of my talk in Glastonbury. Well, that talk it's to, not at I, all dissimilar from what we're.
0: Well, let's talk about, about that. Let's move my, into that a little bit.
1: Okay, I'll try and keep it as brief as possible as a lot of information. I don't know how to boil it all down, but let's yeah. go. The topic was The Emperor Has No Clothes. And it was the subject was the Truckers Convoy, the Freedom Convoy, which was the protest that took place in Ottawa in January, February last year. It was the largest peaceful protest in Canadian history brought about by a mandate that the Emperor said was based on science and it resulted in truckers who didn't want to get the jabberwocky caused them to lose their jobs essentially and they couldn't mm-hmm. work
0: mm-hmm.
1: so they descended on ottawa and in huge numbers they came from not only the jabberwocky but the unjabberwocky who just wanted freedom of choice mm-hmm. they descended on ottawa and before they even landed in ottawa they were characterized as terrorists they were characterized as misogynists racists Mm -hmm. white supremacists people who don't believe in science why do we tolerate these people yes they take space yes they're destroying the local businesses so what actually destroyed the local businesses was their characterization as terrorists so people in ottawa were boarding up the windows you know and uh. trudeau led the city and there was snipers on roofs and it was all a theatrical job you know it was all completely false the protest was more like a giant family day you know There were bouncy castles for the kids there was dances there was music. There were speakers. Amongst the speakers supporting the truckers was the the only surviving signatory to Canada's constitution in 1982. Our mm-hmm. constitution goes to 1982. And Danny Bulford, resigned RCMP officer, charged with Trudeau's personal protection. There was Trudeau's brother who spoke on their behalf. And following the invocation of the Emergencies Act, which is a kind of a wartime measures act, which requires use or threats of serious violence and a threat to national security. Uh, He began arresting peaceful protesters, and they have been held as political prisoners pending trial. Mm -hmm. And he froze bank accounts. So the Emergencies Act had never been invoked before, Hmm. except on this occasion. And then there was a Public Order Emergency Commission which arrived as kind of a gift because there was 6 weeks of continuous testimony and evidence produced which is now in the public record and I spent most a lot of the time this summer going over it all mm-hmm. and the end result was that there was no medical advice to that effect you know that he claimed uh, no one was prepared to say that the measure that he introduced that sparked the protest was based on science no one was prepared to say no one would back it no one no one would back it no one was prepared to say that there was any actual violence so the question kept coming up time and time again was there any actual violence the answer was always oh no no there was no actual violence no no none of that right yeah and uh, was there a threat to national security the head of CSIS Canadian Security and Intelligence Services said no there was no threat to national security no Hmm. so this is a very brief synopsis but the essence of it is that the view that the general public that watches the state-run media or the corporate media had of this protest was the diametric opposite the complete opposite of the truth it was not just not true it was anti-true Right. Oh, he said, for example, that they were stealing food from the homeless. Well, the other side of that was that, no, they were actually feeding the homeless. And because there was so much food being donated to them, that it filled all the soup kitchens and and, uh, not just in Ottawa, but all the way up to Sudbury was bulging with food. Oh, that's great. There was uh, a lady who led the thing. It was, uh, her name is Tamara Lee. She's a Native American grandmother who started a GoFundMe to help them. The whole idea was that they would go to Ottawa and, uh, you know, hold up a few signs and enter into a negotiation over this mandate. What's the reason behind it? Do we really need to do this? Enter into a dialogue over it. It's the only protest in history that I'm aware of where there was not some form of negotiation allowed. Mm -hmm. And we're just sticking to this narrative. And I tend to view it as a very important insight into the mind of the World Economic Forum and those who belong to it, but also into the mind of the Demiurge, who is described in the book of John as Operation Mind Control. It's like he sought to overpower humanity in their psychological and perceptual awareness. Right. So it's all about managing perceptions. And I see it as a form of black magic, a form of sorcery,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where it's a smear campaign. It's um, very common in, certainly it happened in the church that I belong to, anybody that opposed it got that kind of treatment. Well, for example, hold on, let me, let me break in just a sec. You
0: know, Robert F. Kennedy is the yeah. most hated person uh, running for president right now by the conventional uh, media and whatnot. Right. Uh, so I received a invitation via email this week to attend a an online uh, town hall meeting to ask RFK questions and whatnot and click here to be added to the list well when i did the click here microsoft intervened and said stop oh, yeah. this is an right. unsafe site you 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 may not go to this site it said mm-hmm. oh. And so I I did a screen capture on that and I sent it to the RFK people and I said, Microsoft's blocking your meeting. And they were appalled. They didn't know it. I was the one that let RFK know that Microsoft's not letting him have his town hall this week. So very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The Dimey
1: Urge. They don't want
0: dialogue. They don't
1: want truth. No. And you have to believe that there is such a thing as truth because when they were, when they were asked, well, If there was no actual violence, then how do you justify the invocation of the Emergencies Act, which requires that to be the case? Otherwise, it's an unlawful invocation, and you guys would be liable for crimes, which would would ordinarily be crimes like false imprisonment and false arrest. Sure. Well, they said, well, it was felt violence.
0: Yes.
1: Yes. So they're going into an area where they don't actually think there's any such thing as an objective truth absolutely that it's all your perception that it's all your feeling uh, and the that particular approach or we thought that it would turn into something but that particular argument was dealt with in the act because the act says the violence must have happened on or before the date of invocation but Uh they kept coming back to we thought it was going to turn into something you know Right. Or so it was felt violence. And so a lot of things were violence that you don't ordinarily think of as violence. Oh, well, that's that's very typical.
0: People become insulted so easily now and they call it violence.
1: Well, silence is violence. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that one in this context. They kept saying things like it was felt violence. It was anticipatory violence like, you know, pre-crime minority reports. And honking was violence. And they introduced a couple of really unhinged individuals who claimed that they had been psychologically damaged by the honking. You know, that they'd never been the same since yeah. since they'd heard all this honking. Yeah. Really unhinged. It turns out those people were actually assaulting and throwing eggs at the uh, truckers. Sure. So, you know, and then what else was that? Oh, yeah, economic harm is violence. Well, any kind of strike or industrial action, results in some form of economic harm but in the case of the ottawa protest it did nothing but cause the place to boom yeah every hotel was full that was open every restaurant was jam-packed the only reason that there was economic harm was because of trudeau's ridiculous mandates and because they bought the idea that these people were terrorists but a lot of them could see after a bit that no these people were not terrorists and so they opened their doors and their businesses flourished So that just a whole string of words that, uh, a reinvention of language, you know, Mm -hmm. like words don't have objective meaning. Well, and that's going on worldwide.
0: That's going on down here in the States as well. I mean, that's just the way it is nowadays. They're controlling and changing the meaning of language, which makes it impossible for us to communicate. And unless we're able to communicate, we can never resolve conflicts.
1: Of course. So it's just all your perception. There's no truth. There's no and, grand narrative. And that's all it
0: And that's the demiurge's position. That there, you know, remember yeah. the demiurge is an amnesiac god. He yeah. does. He thinks he started everything, and that it starts and ends with him. And so he doesn't know. Yeah. So that for a him,
1: truth. the truth is the tr- what it ends up being is yes. The truth is whatever I tell you, it is
0: exactly. Exactly. And that's the way politics is
1: now. The truth is what, what we tell you it is. And I have a, I included in my presentation a quote from Jacinda Ardern, the prime minister of New Zealand. She says, we are your single source of truth. Mm-hmm. And she she goes on to say, if it comes from us, it's true. If it comes from anywhere else, it's not true. Yeah. So that is the very definition. I couldn't have described a cult more succinctly than that, because it depends on being hermetically sealed. Yeah. It's like living, and I this is analogous to my book, it's it's like living in a, inside of a darkened room. You don't see any light, it's pitch black in there. But if a little crack opens up in the wall, even a small amount of light, a small amount of truth is enough to dispel the darkness but Mm -hmm. they depend on cutting you off from any form of alternative explanation. Right. Our tradition, our ancestors had a different view of things, like we talk in law, in the philosophy of law, the tyranny of the majority, the tyranny of the experts. Mm -hmm. The tyranny of the majority is dealt with by a constitution. The tyranny of the experts was dealt with largely by a jury system, and the jury system was, you know, the common folk Mm -hmm. the common folk would hear a string of expert witnesses on one side and then they would hear a string of expert witnesses on the other side the expert witnesses or the experts weren't determining the conclusion of this thing it was the jury Mm -hmm. the average citizen and we're being cut
0: out of the process now the proletariat has has been put down that's right Well, I hope you've enjoyed this discussion between myself and Adrian Smith. We ran out of time, but I think we got plenty in. I'll see you next week. Onward and upward.